We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3 and 4. So 2 Timothy 3 and 4, if you want to turn there, that would be awesome. Uh, while you're turning there, I just want to say good morning, good to see you guys. Uh, here's what's going on. We are in our second week of just looking at a Jesus church, and we're talking about what kind of church Jesus is building, and we'll get more to that in just a second, but as you're turning there, I want to share a few things with you guys. Uh, you guys know after this is over, just four weekends, it's going to be Easter. It's crazy. Uh, we have four more weeks of this, including today. And then it's Easter Sunday. And when you came in, you might have seen these little flyers. We have our flyers ready for Easter. Uh, our Easter theme this year is simply Jesus Lives. Uh, I know, it's really creative. But I love it. I love the look of this. Uh, grab some of these flyers on the way out. Like, we're going to give you stacks and pass them out in your neighborhoods, your workplace, wherever. There's also many little ones. It just says Jesus Lives, Easter at the Exchange. It has the address, the, the times, all that. So we'd love for you just to grab these, share them, pass them out. We don't want any of these left. So please, please grab them. Uh, Easter is on April 4th, so we're not far. It's already March of 2021, which is mind-blowing, and we're just a few weeks away. So help us get the word out, because Jesus does live. And uh, we're excited to celebrate that. And then we're also, just so you know, we're having Good Friday service here on April 2nd, uh, obviously Friday night, April 2nd at 6 p.m. So we'd love for you to be a part of that as well with us. And then a couple more things. Um, we do this event every year. I mentioned this last week, and you're going to hear a lot more about this, but we do this event called the Extravagant. Uh, in previous years, it's been a way for us to kind of partner with the city, throw a kind of a big like festival at the school. Um, obviously, in light of this year, what's going on, we're doing like a drive-by kind of experience um, where there's going to be 12 different tents, and at 12 tents, uh, cars are going to pull up. They're going to get like a little Easter egg, and you open it up, and there's going to be like a part of the gospel story. And actually, we're going to have like a link to our website where people can listen to like 12 different like 30-second tracks to kind of hear the gospel message. So kids will get their little egg. We'll give them a carton. There's 12 eggs. So they'll fill that carton, and they'll have the gospel story in there. And we're going to pass out uh, just candy, food, just activities, things like that in these little goodie bags. Um, but it's a way for us to get the gospel out, to engage with our community. And that's going to be eight days before Easter, so the Saturday before Easter. And so we could use your help for that day, and we're also going to have like a packing uh, day. So think about this. We're planning on having enough for 800 cars. So 800 times 12. We're going to have about 10,000 Easter eggs that we need to pack with these little things. So uh, we could use your help uh, in packing that, packing the, the tent stuff that we're going to bring that day. Um, and that will be in just a couple of Fridays. Uh, I just want to make you aware of that's going to be March 19th. So we could use your help, block out those dates, save those dates, know that's what's happening. I'm excited to get the gospel out to our community. So we love, we love, love, love for you to be a part of that. Cool? Extravaganza, Easter, grab these flyers. All right? Yes? Yeah? You guys with me? Okay, cool. Hey, we are doing um, our second week of a Jesus church, and we're taking five weeks to look at what kind of church does Jesus want? What kind of church is Jesus building? How do we be the church that Jesus had in mind? And we're kind of using Matthew 16 as that starting text where Jesus is talking to the disciples and Peter makes his claim. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, man, rightly so, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And then he said this, Jesus said, and on this rock of this truth that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you see that Jesus has this vision of the church that it is this unstoppable force when it's built on the right things, when it's built on the foundation of the gospel of who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the one the whole Bible points to, and that he's just the son of the living God. 
And we want to like break that down and say, Jesus, when you said, I will build my church, this is your church. It's not my church. This is Jesus's church. You know, we are his people. He is our shepherd. And what do you have in mind when you say you'll build your church? And so last week, and this is kind of how we're, we have five weeks, we're kind of doing a 30,000 feet. And, and this is my hope as you guys just, you know, in life, uh, wherever God might do or bring you. If you're in South Florida and God brings you somewhere, you move across the country, whatever it might be, that you look for these qualities of a church. And so here's those things. We're talking about we want to be a church. It's all about last week, the gospel. This week, we're going to look at the word. We're going to talk about the spirit, the mission Jesus gave us, and then the why, the why, which is worship, why we're here, why we exist. So as you look for a church, you say, I want a church that's about the gospel. That's about the word of God. It's about the spirit of God. That's about the mission God has given us. And it's about the worship, like why we exist, why we're created. So we're going to walk through this, and then we'll hit Easter Sunday. So I'm very excited. So let's kind of like bring our, our focus into what this is today. We want to talk about the word of God. We want to talk about the scriptures. We want to talk about the Bible. We want to talk about just how we want to be a church based off God and his word. I'm so excited for this. I really i am praying that God like raises up a generation that just craves and hungers the word of God. That we would like love the Bible. Like I would love for us to all get a new ho- a hobby of just Bible reading. Like I would love for us to develop this hunger and passion for the scriptures. I am thankful. I'm very thankful for the home I grew up in and the, the church I grew up in. There was a, a deep love for the word of God. Uh, it can also sometimes be misapplied at times. It can also be maybe where we elevate the scriptures to maybe an unhealthy place, meaning like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. I, I get that can be an issue sometimes. But in reality, I, I don't think our generation has that issue. I, I think more often than not, we have too low a view of scripture. We have too low a view of the Bible. I mean, this is the number one book sold of all time. Still to this day, they just like take it off. Like it's just the number one best-selling book of all time, and yet hardly anyone reads it. Hardly anyone applies it dissects it, seeks to interpret it, seeks to live it out. And so that's like our hope is how do we be a church just based on God and his word? Like we want to love this book. I think of what David said in Psalm 138. And David in Psalm 138 said simply this, uh, for you, God, have magnified your word above all your name. Listen to that. David's like, God, you've magnified your word above all your name. Now, there's disagreement about that, what that uh, how that's interpreted. Some will say, the verse actually says, God, you have magnified your word and your name above all. It could be that way. That's how the ESV writes it. But I want you to think about this. Jesus has the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And David is essentially saying, God, you put your word higher than your own name. Like that's how you view your word. Or if it, was, it's, if it is interpreted as your word and your name are above all, I want you just to think about that. God, your word is above all. Like, I don't know if we have a high enough view of scripture. I don't know if we love it. I don't know if we just can't wait to get into it. I used to view this as a book that like I had to read and like, isn't that what good Christians do? And it was a burden. And I don't know, just we will talk about this, but something takes place, I feel like so often in your Christian journey where God does something in your heart and you go, no, no I don't have to, I get to. I don't have to read the Bible, I, I want to. I don't have to like study scripture. I can't wait to learn about God and know him and I just have greater intimacy with God. And I think God kind of takes us through these different seasons where this just became like a textbook and God wants it to be just this love letter sent from heaven to us. And he wants us to read it and delight in him. And so today, this is not gonna be so much how to study the Bible or how to interpret the Bible. We actually did two teachings on this in like December of 2019. Like, please go back and listen. This is gonna be more of what is the Bible? Why does this, the Bible matter? Like, why do scriptures matter? And then like, how should we respond and how should we kind of interact with the scriptures? Like, how should we respond to the word of God? 
And so this is in this text in 2 Timothy, he's basically telling us, here's what the Bible is, and here's your response to the Bible. Here's what God's word is, and here's how you and I should respond to it. And so again, I'm just praying that God makes us a church that loves his word. I think of Colossians 3.16, where Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Like, man, like Psalm 119.9, right? How can a young person cleanse their way by taking heed to your word? I think, how can we cling to God's word? How can we hide his word in our hearts so we might not sin against him? Like, how do we truly get it deep into every fabric and fiber of our being that, like, we know the scriptures, we love the scriptures, we read the scriptures, we seek to apply and live out the scriptures? I would love for us to be a community that's all about God's word. Amen? And it's one of those things where, like, I don't know how. I really don't know how to make us, like, hungry for the word. Other than I want to kind of share what the Bible says about, like, put it in its rightful place and just pray that our hearts are captivated by it. Like, I want us to be reminded today of what God says about his very word and, like, just pray the Holy Spirit goes, yes, Lord. Like, I'm hungry for that. I want that. Like, I need that. So, I'm excited for today. I'm going to break a couple of rules. We're actually going to be in 2 Timothy 3, and we're going to go into 2 Timothy 4, because remember, there's no, like, chapters and verses. So, it's like one complete thought from 2 Timothy 3 into chapter 4, so we're going to break some chapter boundaries today. hope that's okay with you. Um, but it is what, this one complete thought, and I'm excited to just dive into this. Now, keep this in mind as we jump into just 2 Timothy. Uh, this, are, this is Paul's last letter. This is the last letter Paul wrote. According to church history, Paul was beheaded in Rome. And so the idea is, like, this is his letter from prison to Timothy, to the one he's discipling, to the one he loves, to the one he, like, poured his life into. And I want you to think about your last words to someone you love. I want you to think about what you'd say in your, your very last words. Like, hey, I'm about to die. And Paul says that. Second Timothy 4, he's like, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Like, I've, I've ran my race. Like, he's, he knows. He knows he's done. I, I've ran my race. I've kept the faith. So he knows he's about to pass away very soon. And he's basically giving his last words to Timothy, like, here's what I want you to be about, Timothy. Here's what I want you to live for and live by. And his last words in 2 Timothy 3 and 4, the last chapter, is about being about God's word. And I think there's something very important to that. It's like, don't forget this. Don't stray from this. Don't get away from this. I'm about to pass. You love the word. You know the word. You, you preach the word. You live it out. So these are Paul's like heartfelt last words. So let's kind of read it with that uh, perspective in mind. And we're going to start in verse 12. All right, you guys ready? For the word? All right, here we go. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. We'll kind of start in the middle of his of thought in some ways. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Don't you love the exchange? This is the verse we start off with. Verse 13. But evil men, it gets better, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But he's saying to Timothy, but you, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, like I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke exhorts with all long suffering, with all patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, 
they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, to false stories, to false narratives. Verse 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Just want to pray. This is some. Um, this is just some amazing text from Paul. He's just putting things in perspective. He said, "Don't you know you're going to stand before Jesus? Here's how you view the word. Here's how you interact with the word. Here's how you preach it." And I just want to pray that God makes us a people about His word. Can we do that? Let's just pray and just invite the Lord to just speak to us. So, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the scriptures, the holy scriptures, which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your word that it's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Jesus, thank you that the words you spoke to us are spirit and are life. Thank you, Jesus, for your word that is able to just give wisdom to the simple, to convert the soul. Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for the fact that, God, you speak. You're not distant, but you speak and you're with us. And Jesus, we just do ask. We ask that we be people that love your word. We would crave it, that we would know it. We would seek to apply it, that we would not dismiss it, that, Jesus, we would just embrace it, Lord. So do your, your will in us. And, Jesus, we ask that um, the word of Christ would truly dwell in us richly. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. You know, everyone preaches something, right? Like, everyone preaches Everyone preaches something. Everyone's about something. Everyone kind of has something they, they've experienced or they've done or something they're passionate about. I am kind of one of those persons where, like, if I find a new restaurant, like, I'm going to preach that restaurant, right? Like, everyone kind of has something. They get excited about it, and they just want to preach it. It's funny because we all have something we, like, evangelize for. Like, we all have something. We go, man, you got to try this. Like, if you've ever said something like, man, I just wish someone would have told me about like, we're, like, preaching. There's ex we're excited about something. Like, everyone preaches something. And then you think about it, there's, like, evangelists for everything. There's, like, evangelists for, like, the CrossFit community, right? And it's, like, and like there's evangelists for, like, hot yoga. You got to try hot yoga. And, like, all about it. Like, we have political evangelists. Like, you got to be on my side. We have evangelists when it comes to, like, iPhone versus Android. Like, you have people like, no, iPhone's better. No, 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 Android's better, right? You have just, we have evangelists for everything. We have Duncan evangelists. They're false evangelists. Um... We have Starbucks evangelists, by the way. Have you tried the new uh, brown sugar shaken? Uh, oh my gosh, the espresso. I don't even know. It's just amazing. So good. Anyways, but there's evangelists for everything, right? Like everyone gets excited about something and wants to communicate it, wants to share it, wants to be passionate about it. Like we all tell some sort of story that like you got to try this, you got to go here, you got to experience this. This is life changing. It brought me so much joy. Whatever it is, everyone preaches something. And there's this mandate for Christians, like despite what you preach, Keep the main thing the main thing, and he says, preach the word. There's this call to Christians that's saying, listen, you're going to be excited about different things in life, but Timothy, don't neglect preaching the word. Like, preach the word. So church, there's this burden or this call on, on all of us to saying, communicate, herald, talk about, teach, dissect, like, explain, whatever it is, preach the word. And so when I even say the word, like, what is that? What is the word? What is the Bible? Like, how do we define that? What element should we preach? Do we preach all of it? How do you preach all of it? Like, what, how do we do this? What, what does it take to preach? You know, uh, Tim Keller wrote a book. You might have heard of him, but he wrote a book called Preaching. It's just basically, it's a book called Preaching, and he basically says this book is for anyone. He gives three examples. He says, when it comes to preaching, everyone, every follower of Jesus is a preacher, everyone. It's not just my job. 
Everyone preaches in some capacity, and he kind of looks at three capacities. One is this. Everyone should be preaching or talking to their families, to their neighbors, to their coworkers, to their classmates. Everyone should be talking about the Word of God in a way that is kind of like preaching. When people are like, don't preach at me, you're like, but I have good news. We talked about that last week, good news. But this idea of like, we all should be communicating the Word of God in some capacity, even in conversational language. Like, we got to get good at having conversations where we're basically using the Word of God, not quoting maybe scriptures and references but it's just so in, in us, it's so like in our, our hearts that it just comes out naturally in conversation because everyone should be part of that. The Word of God should just come out like in a talking sort of a way, in a conversational sort of way where people are like, yo, I've never heard that. What is that? I want more of that. Like it should be good news. Then he says, there's also like this preaching, communicating type of way where it's in maybe that smaller capacity. It's the bloggers, it's the writers, it's, it's the small group leaders. It's the people who are getting maybe some people aside and you're, you're kind of talking through the word with more than a one-on-one, but in maybe just a group kind of setting. And then he talks about preaching to like the masses, talks about preaching as obviously heralding. It could be teaching. It could be breaking down a passage for us. It could be saying, here's who God is and here's what he's done. But he talks about maybe in that larger capacity sort of a way. What I want to just make sure we know is that everyone here is called to preach the word. Like you are called to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the things Jesus commanded. Like, we all have this mandate on us to teach, to preach. And we all preach something. And my hope is, like, here's the thing. Um, I don't, again, know how to make this happen as much as, like, if you can fall in love with the Word of God, watch it just come out naturally. When I fall in love with a new restaurant or a new drink or whatever, it just comes out naturally. And I would say, like, if you can fall in love with the Scriptures, watch you just naturally communicate it. Hey, here's what I was reading. Here's what God spoke to me. Here's what I saw in the Word the other day. And just watch it kind of come out naturally. And my hope is today is that we'd fall in love with the Word of God again. So stay with me. If I say preach the Word, again, the question is, what is the Word? Like, why does it matter? Like, why should I? And, like, how do I do that? Like, how do I even respond to the Word? Like, how, how should I interact with the Word of God? Like, how do I respond to it? So here's the three points we're going to look at today. We'll put it up here. Uh, When it comes to the Word of God, we're talking about the Word of God. We want to look at what it is, why it matters, and how to respond to it. All right, what it is, like, what is this? Why does it matter? How to respond to it? You guys ready? First point, what it is. (laughs) What it is. What it is. What is the Word of God? Like, what is it? Uh, Let's just kind of start here. We'll get into our text in just a second. But the idea of, like, what is the Word of God, let me just say it this way. It is a small library. It's just like a collection of books put together that really kind of emerged from the culture and the history of the ancient people of Israel that is pointing to this promise of the the one who would come and the one who would save all nations. And it's a collection of writing and books that just come together. We call the Bible. The Bible is one book, but it's made up of 66 books. And now I know you know this, but I just want to kind of like step back a little bit. When it comes to the Bible, there's really like two parts, two, two sides to it. We call it the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, the Jews, like the Orthodox Jews call their Bible the Bible, by the way. Like, like what do you, <laughs> they don't call like talk to a Jew and be like, so the Old Testament, it's like, that's just the Bible to them. Um, and they call that the Tanakh, right? Maybe you've heard that word. Everyone say Tanakh, Tanakh. Now, this is an acronym of a few different words put together to communicate the Jewish scriptures. And the Tanakh is this, the T, the, the T in the Tanakh, you can see it. Uh, it's for the Torah, which is the law, the first five books of the Bible. The N.A. and the Tanakh uh, you have is for the uh, Nevi'im, which speaks of like the prophets. 
So they have this word Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, prophets, and then Ketuvim, which is just the writings, which might be more of like the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, things like that. And they put this together, and this is the Tanakh. This is the whole, this is all the books of the Bible for us. They actually have less books because First and Second Chronicles is just one book. First and Second Kings is one book. So there's less books, but it's the same amount of writing. So you have the Old Testament put together, and this is the Tanakh. And then here's the idea. It's funny. When you read this, there's almost like, is this really it? Because you kind of go, okay, where's the promise? It ends with the promise in Malachi. Where's the promise? Where's the Messiah? Where's the Redeemer? Where's the one who would save us? And we would say, hey, listen, that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus, and we call this the New Testament. Now, the New Testament would be made up of the four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus, as you know. Then the book of Acts, just how the church started, what the church was about. Then you get into the epistles, kind of like this is like more of that prose discourse, that doctrinal writing, like here's how you should live by now. And then obviously Revelation, which is more of like an apocalyptic writing style. And we kind of break down the New Testament in this, like there's just different writing styles. You think about the Bible, it's a lot of narrative, it's a lot of historical narrative, it's a lot of parables, a lot of stories. Uh, there's a lot of psalms, a lot of poetry in the Bible. There's a lot of just doctrine, like laws or commands or imperatives, here's how to live. The Bible's made up a lot of different writing styles, different genres, different people. When we say, what is the Bible, we want to like stand back and just kind of acknowledge what it is, even to the person who's not a believer, and say, well, it's a collection of writings from many, from many authors over a long period of time. Now, here's the thing. There's nothing like the Bible to me. I understand there's other religious texts, but there's really no, nothing like the Bible. If you've ever studied the Bible and you know it, you go, man, this is so beautiful. 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents, and yet it's all one message. It's all pointing to the person of Jesus, and you see this story last week, remember, of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Those little books, those big books, they're all kind of pointing to different aspects of that, of the redemption story that we looked at and talked about. I mean, it's absolutely an incredible book. There's one hero, Jesus, the Messiah. There's one villain, you could say, Satan, death, sin. You could say there's one purpose, the glory of God. I mean, all these different books, all these different authors, all these different time periods, you go, man, there's something about the wonderful unity of the scriptures. What is the Bible? It is wonderfully unified together. Think not even just about that. Think about the uniqueness of the Bible. Like, think about the longevity of the Bible. Think about the all, just the persecution we've seen throughout history when it comes to scriptures. Those who've copied the manuscripts. Uh, the, our libraries have been burnt down. Christians have been burned at the stake. People who said, we got to get this out to the masses have been brutally murdered. Their families lost, their homes lost. You think about like what it took to get the Bible in our hands today. It took a lot of bloodshed to get the Bibles in our hands today. Think about the transformation and the power that are in, that's in the Bible. Think about how just throughout history, it's turned slave traders into those who want to set people free. It's made doctors and missionaries. You know, you think about all the hospitals that have been built in the name of Jesus, all the missionaries that have been sent in the name of Jesus. You think about all the orphanages and all the homes that have been built in the name of Jesus. I mean, you think about how it's just transformed murderers, thieves, rapists, terrible people in their lifestyle, and they go, I'm completely different. Now, there's consequences for all of that, and they've walked through that, but you can talk to people and go, oh my gosh, like this has totally transformed my being. It's transformed my way of thinking, my way of living, how I do my life, how I live my life. You look at the scriptures, you go, there's just wonderful unity. It's incredibly unique. I mean, this is written by people who are incredibly poor. This is written by kings. This is written by prophets. This is written by doctors. This is written by all sorts of people, all sorts of backgrounds, on different continents, like I mentioned, different languages. And yet there's this beautiful unity here. You know, when you think about the scriptures and why we talk about this, why this, like, what is the Bible? I want you to know this. Like, when it comes, if you've ever struggled with the Bible, I want you to think about Jesus' perspective of the Bible. 
Think about what Jesus' relationship to the Bible. Man, Jesus loved the Bible, obviously. Jesus knew the Bible. Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy more than any book. Jesus quotes from Isaiah, Jonah. He speaks of Adam and Eve as real people. He speaks as Daniel as a real person. He speaks as Jonah as a real person. Jesus it gives us, and he's affirming the scriptures from his take. Jesus taught the Bible. Jesus would settle arguments with the Bible. Jesus used the Bible and said, hey, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. Jesus viewed himself as the fulfillment of the Tanakh, of those scriptures. Jesus had a high view of the Bible. He goes, listen, not one jot, not, nothing will be taken away from this Bible, from this book. Like, this is Jesus' view of the scriptures. He loved the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. I mean, he just spoke the scriptures. It just came out of him. I want you to read the Gospels and see all the times he quotes the scriptures. I want you to see how Zechariah is quoted from Jesus, from the, the gospel writers. I just want you to see how all the times the word of God, Jesus affirms Isaiah. My point is, when you look at the Bible and you go, Jesus, man, he had a high view of the Bible. He viewed this as real people, real time periods, real issues. Jesus loved the Bible. I love how Andrew Wilson, one author, said this. He says, listen, ultimately our trust in the Bible stems for our trust in Jesus and in his view of scripture. I think this is a good argument. I don't think it's the the end of of all arguments. I think it's a good argument. Ultimately, you could say our trust in Scripture is because we look at to Jesus, who he is, what he's done. He had a high trust in Scripture. I think it's funny how people love Jesus and don't love the Bible. That doesn't make sense to me. You keep like, I love Jesus, man, but the Bible is what I struggle with. I'm like, well, Jesus loved the Bible. Jesus had a high view of the Bible, high view of scriptures. There's something incredibly beautiful about this. You know, um, back when the church kind of started realizing we're blending too much with culture, we got to kind of pull away. It's been called the Reformation, and basically 500 plus years ago, there's like, we got to see what are we all about. And, and these, the reformers got together and they wrote about something called the Sola Scriptura. And this is basically, this means just scripture alone. It means we base everything off of scripture. It's the supreme authority for our lives is the scripture. This is how we view scripture. Jesus viewed this as the supreme authority for how to live. This is how we talk about scripture. This is how we talk about the Bible. And I want you to stay with me because I want to say, what is it? Man, it is so beautiful to think what it's lasted to get into our hands today. It's so, it's so beautiful to think of all the different people, backgrounds that God has used to put the Bible together, Jew, Gentile, to get this unified message. You know, I want to just briefly throw up here, like, what does the Bible call itself? Like, because we say the word Bible, the word Bible is not in the Bible. Like, I know you know that. It's like, where's the Bible in the Bible? It's not in the Bible, but it's the Bible. Um, But here's the idea. The Bible is called this throughout the scriptures. It's called the book of the law. It's called the gospel. It's called holy scripture, living words, word of Christ, the scroll, the sword of the spirit, truth, word of God, word of life, words of the Lord, the word of God. This is what the Bible calls itself. Uh, the Bible, the, the word word, is this word logos, and it's just referring to like, what are we here for? What's purpose? What is life all about? And the Bible is saying, here's the logos. Here's the word. Here's what we're all about. And it's pointing to us the person of Jesus. So what is the scriptures? In a simple way, you could say, listen, it's a collection of books that really show us the person of Jesus. Now, we'll keep going. But I want to see this. What, what is the Bible? Listen to this. It is the very breath of God. It is the very word of God. As I'm breathing right now, and sometimes it's annoying. You can like hear me breathing. Like, <sighs> I just want to come up the stairs. I'm like, <sighs> you can hear my breath. It's weird. But when you think about the breath of God, think about just like God breathes. 
This is like my baby last night woke up in the middle of the night and I'm holding her and it's just so weird when like she's crying. I just feel her breath hitting me and I'm thinking about this like, wow, she's alive. And like, I remember the first time I held both my kids and I felt like their breath come out and it's such a weird thought like you're connected to your mom, now I'm holding you and like I feel your breath hitting me and you're like, this is a living being. Think about this, the word of God is the breath of God. God breathes. It's, it's living. It's alive. The, Hebrews 4.12 would say that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Like, this is a living book. God breathes His breath of life into this, you could say. Like, His Word is the breath of life. I've mentioned this before. I think it's fascinating that you look at how God created man, and you look at the Word of God and how similar they are. But listen to this. It's in Genesis uh, chapter 2. It says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Hear that. God breathed, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Listen, when God breathes on man, man became alive. God breathes on him. It's interesting to me in John 20 when, the, when Jesus breathes on his disciples, he says he breathed on them, received the Spirit. Like whenever you see like breath coming upon, there's like life this is called, the, the, this in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration. That, those, that phrase, given by inspiration, is just this word, theopneustos. And theop meaning God, neustos comes from pneuma or spirit or breath. And it's literally saying this is the breath of God. This is the spirit of God. This is the life of God. That's how Paul writes about the scriptures. He goes, this is the very breath of God. See, when God breathes on something, you better believe it's alive. And you see the breath of God come upon this and they're living. Now, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, God speaks, what happens? Things come into existence. Think about the power of the word of God. God's like, light be, and light was. God goes, earth, and there's earth. He thought of it, he imagined it, spoke it, it comes into existence. I mean, there's truly power in the word of God. Like, there's so much power in the word of God, so much so that when Satan comes on the scene, what does he do? He questions the word of God. He twists the word of God. He goes, hey, Eve, did God really say that the day you eat this, you will die? Actually, God put it in more of a positive light. Hey, you may eat of every tree, but if you eat of this tree, but Satan made it more sound like this negative. Did God really say it this way? He twists the word of God. He questions the word of God. Because why? There's power in the word of God. What Satan has to do to kind of confuse us or mix us up is how do I twist the word of God? How do I compromise the word of God? How do I get in there and just sow thoughts, of, sow seeds of discourse? Like we're meaning, I'm, I'm just questioning everything. How do we interpret the word of God? Like he's just constantly trying to just make us at odds with the word of God. Why? Because there's power in the word of God. The point is we need to know the word of God. We need to love the word of God. We need to study the word of God. We need to get back back to the, and go and do the hard work of interpreting the Word of God. There's something about uh, us knowing God's Word, truly knowing it, loving it, talking about it. See, because this is the breath of God. I want us to get this big idea, obviously, today. There is a God in heaven, and He speaks. God speaks. I think there's this, like, idea that you've heard maybe before, but God is, like, in heaven, doesn't care. He's like, what's going on on earth? Oh, too bad. I'm in heaven. Like, no, God is, like, actively involved with his creation. He loves his creation. I love how one author puts it. Listen to this. He says, God is pictured not as a silent and distant force impassively regulating the universe, but as a talker, as one who has been speaking, arguing, pleading, wooing, commanding, telling stories, conversing, and generally spinning words across the lines between heaven and earth since the beginning of time. God speaks. God woos. God is trying to to really get our attention by speaking in so many different ways. God has spoken in so many different ways. I think of Hebrews 1.1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoken to us by the prophets of old, but in these last days he's spoken to us through his son 
through Jesus. We look to Jesus. We look to his word. We want to know it. Jesus said, I speak to you. My words, my words are spirit. My words are life. The word of Jesus are spirit. They are life. It's the breath of God. Jesus came down as God in the flesh, as the word of God that walked among us, and he breathed that same breath. He spoke the words of God. See, so when I ask the question, what is the Bible? You could say, it's a collection of books, it's a library. We would say, it's, we'd argue, it's, it's the very breath of God. It's the very inspired, authoritative, final, inerrant, infallible word of God. We would just say there has so much authority to it. Listen, what is the Bible? Let me, I love how Paul puts it. He just basically says this, it's profitable for all. It's just profitable, man. Like, it's good. If you know it and you live it, Man, it is going to benefit your life greatly. Actually, let's just read that. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16. Again, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And listen, it is profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, the Bible is just profitable. God's like, I want to make you thoroughly complete, lacking nothing. I want to make sure you know this is good for life, on how to live, what life is about. You think about this, the Bible deals with some big topics, and it just benefits life. It's funny to me, I'll follow some like business things once in a while, and they'll talk about different principles. I'm like, hey, they stole that from Proverbs. Like, because the Bible's just so good, it's so rich, it's just filled with life-giving truth. It is profitable for all. We'll talk about what it's most important for in just a second, but it is just profitable. It is good. I want to give you a couple of terms really quick. So, uh, the Bible describes itself in certain like similes and in different ways, and I love how the Bible describes itself. Let's just, I'm going to put this up here. We'll read this quickly. Listen, the Bible calls itself, the Bible is a lamp or it's a light. Listen, the Psalms talk about this a lot. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. The Bible will guide you, lead you. If you want direction, go to the Bible. If you want to know God's will for your life, go to the Bible. The Bible is a lamp. It lights up your path. Listen, the Bible is food for life. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy when he said that, but Jesus is quoting scripture and speaking scripture saying, listen, you're hungry. You want substance. You feel like nothing in this world is satisfying you. Chew and eat up the word of God. That will give you substance. Every news article you read leaves you kind of frustrated and hungry for more. And you're like, never satisfied? Hey, here's some food that will satisfy you. Here's some food that will meet that deepest, darkest, that deepest need of your life. Number three is this. The Bible is milk. The Bible calls itself milk and by which you grow. The Bible is good for us. It's how we grow. It's how we learn. It's how we grow in our faith. The Bible is described as water. The Bible is water. It purifies you. It cleanses you. It gives you, again, like just life. You need water to live. This is how we live. You're thirsty. You're like, I'm looking for something. The Bible will be that quenching and satisfying thing. It is water. The Bible is a seed. I love this one. The Bible is a seed. Like when it's planted in, watch it just take root and produce fruit. It takes a while. It does take a while when it comes to reading the Bible. Know that overnight it might not happen. It's like a seed. It takes a while for it to be like buried in and cultivated and watered and growing until there's fruit and there's life But the Bible's a seed. This is indestructible seed as Peter would call it. It's what makes us alive. The Bible is a sword. Paul would put it this way a couple different times. It's how we fight temptation. You're struggling with sin. You're a slave to something. You feel like you can't get out of it. Go to the Bible. It's the word of God. It's a sword. Uh, Listen, the Bible is a mirror. James calls it this mirror in which we kind of look and we see our true selves. We see our sinful selves before God. We see those areas that need improving and need fixing and growing. It's a mirror that reveals so much. And lastly, I love how Jeremiah puts it. The Bible is a fire. It's fire. Jeremiah says, God, your word to me was like a fire within my bones. I couldn't help. I had to preach it. Like, it's just fire within me. He also described it in Jeremiah as just this consuming fire. Your word is a consuming fire. 
just consumes those areas of my life that are gross and disgusting, and I need it just gone. And God, your word consumes that. It purifies me. And see, this is what the word of God is. What is it? This is what it is. Now, why does it matter? Why does it matter? I mean, for all those reasons I just said more, but why does it matter? Here's the big idea we see from our text. The Bible reveals how we are saved. Like, why does this matter? The Bible shows us how to be right with God. The Bible shows us how to have peace in life. It shows us who we're made for, what we're made for. Listen, the Bible reveals how we are saved. If you would look back at verse 15, look what Paul's reminding Timothy when it comes to his childhood. Verse 15, he says, and from childhood, you have known what? The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith that which is in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible makes us wise for salvation. It shows how we're saved. It shows how to be saved. It shows how to be right with God. Why does it matter? Because this solves the biggest problem in life. How can I ever have peace? How can I ever be right with my creator? How can I ever know my creator? It shows how you and I are saved. Here's why it matters. The Bible is just basically, and this is, I know you've kind of got this a little bit, but I want to make sure we unpack this. The Bible, the way we interpret the Bible, the way we look at Bible, this is just one big story pointing to Jesus the whole time. Like all these books, all these authors are pointing to Jesus. This is a book about Jesus. Like we obviously want to know the word. We want to know certain doctrines. We want to know like how does this play out in my life, but we can't miss the big point of that this is a book revealing to us the person of Jesus. I mean, this to me is the summary of the Bible. Jesus summarized the Bible this way. Jesus in John 5.39 says, you search the scriptures, right? For in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. Hear the words of Jesus. He's like Pharisees. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those, those who could quote the Torah. I mean, imagine that. Imagine they could quote Genesis 1.1 all the way through the end of Deuteronomy. They could quote it. And he's like, you search the Bible. You think you have life because you know it, but they're really speaking of me. You see, the law, it reveals your sinner who needs saving. That's me. Everything speaks of me. Everything's pointing to me. Don't read the Bible and just try to like find out what command do I need to live by. Find out where I'm in the text. Find out how it speaks of me and reveals me. Jesus would say this again in John 5, 46. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? He's like, Moses wrote about me. It's crazy. I mean, if you want to know why people crucified Jesus, like this is why. Like, but Jesus was a pretty nice guy. He just healed people and did miracles. Like, why would they hate Jesus? He's like, uh, Moses wrote about me. Like, I'm not going to claim that. I'm not going to be like, hey, by the way, Moses, Moses wrote about me. All right, so here's, here's the idea. Uh, when it comes to, like, studying the Bible, there's different terms maybe you've heard. There's something called exegesis. Um, think about, like, if you put a deposit into something, like you're, you're, putting, you're putting something into it. Exegesis is this word, and hopefully it's up here. The idea is, like, I'm, I'm taking things out of the text. What does the text say? What does the text reveal to me? Like, I want to I know what it's about. Uh, there's another term called eisegesis, where basically people put meaning into the text. They're not understanding the context, they're not doing the hard work of interpretation. They're like, I think this verse means this, and they kind of use it. And that's like, we don't want to study the Bible that way. We want to study exegesis. Then there's people who say like narcissus, where it's like, how does it speak of me? It's about me, right? Like, there's people who read the Bible, like, the Bible's not about you. It's crazy, right? The Bible's about Jesus. And then when you get to know Jesus, you get to know yourself. When you get to know who God is, you find out your identity. And so the whole idea of exegesis, and this is the point, the Pharisees did this. They broke down the text. They knew this. But you do exegesis, like you find out what the text is saying from this filter or the lens of how does it speak of Jesus. So when we interpret the Bible, it's like, awesome. I I love the story of the serpent on the pole, but it's not about the serpent on the pole, right, in the book of Numbers. It's about Jesus being lifted up that all men might look to him and be saved. Like, I love these Old Testament stories. We go, wow, that's so cool. That's a cool story. But how do we see that this is about Jesus, speaking of Jesus, pointing to Jesus? We exegete, we, we pull from the text through this filter or lens of Jesus. Amen? 
Because Jesus says it speaks of me. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Jesus just walking with two disciples. Maybe you know it. It's in Luke 24. There's two men leaving Jerusalem right after Jesus was crucified. They're walking to the city called Emmaus. It's about seven-mile journey. Seven miles, like a seven-mile walk. And they're walking, and Jesus appears. They didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, why do you guys look so sad? And they're like, you must not be from around here. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, Jesus, the one who everyone thought was the Messiah, the Christ, died. And Jesus goes, well, why are you sad about that? Because we just said he died. Like, why would we not be sad? And then in Luke 24, I, I would love this. Listen to this, verse 27. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It goes on to say, listen to this, in Luke 24, 44. All things, Jesus said, must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so their eyes were open to who they were walking with at that point. I would love to have this Bible study from Jesus. Could you imagine? Like Jesus like, I'm going to give you a Bible study about me. Like it's about where the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of it's about Jesus. It speaks of me. The point I want us to see today is as we study the Bible, we, we better find Jesus. We better see Jesus. People, I think, get caught up in like five ways on how to have like a healthier marriage, which are, which are fine, which are fine, which is fine. It's necessary. But we got to do it from this perspective of Jesus. Hey, this is Jesus. Marriage reflects the gospel of Jesus. How does our marriages reflect the gospel? Here's five ways you can have your marriage reflect the gospel. Like it needs to be from this lens of just the gospel of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's done. He goes, listen, all of it speaks of me. Moses wrote about me. The Psalms spoke about me. Everything speaks about me. It's about Jesus. I want to say, why does the Bible matter? Because it reveals God's plan for salvation. It's about Jesus. It shows how we're right with God, how we're saved. We'll kind of just keep going with this. Uh, number two is this. Why does it matter? I'll, I'm going to bullet point some of these thoughts pretty quick now. Abiding in Jesus's word means you are his disciples. Why does it matter to like know this and love this? Because if you abide in his word, it means you're a disciple. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I love like how this, this verse is quoted like in movies. Like, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Like, they forget the first part. Jesus like, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Like, if you know my word, love my word, study my word, keep to my word, apply my word, you are my disciples. Why does it matter? Because keeping God's word, abiding God's word, like living out God's word just reveals you're truly a disciple. Those who love his word know it, study it, give themselves to it, live it out. He goes, you're my disciples. Why does it matter? Listen, here's why it matters. Jesus is going to judge one day based off his word. Why does this matter? Because Jesus is going to judge everyone according to his word. I want to keep reading it. It's 2 Timothy 4 now, verse 1. Paul was just saying, Timothy, you know, go back to the Holy Scriptures. You've heard them since you were a kid, man. You know this, this is how you are saved through the word of God, through what it reveals, the person of Jesus. And he goes, it's good for dogs to reprove, correct. It's good for all of life. And then he has this thought, right? Look at verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his coming. Before we keep going, listen to that. He goes, in light of what the word of God is, in light of how valuable it is, it makes you wise, it makes you saved. Like when you know it points to me, when it points to Jesus. He goes, therefore, in light of all this, you know that Jesus is going to judge according to his word. He's in charge of the living and the dead in light of the context of his word. That you and I are held accountable to what the word of God says. I mean, this just puts things in perspective for us. Like, I need to know the word of God. Luke 12 talked about this in a parable. Jesus is like, those who heard my words and did them. Versus those who heard my words and didn't do them. He describes about judgment day being based off his word. How do we hear his words and do it? 
I mean, this is what we're like, this is what we'll be held accountable to is through this. And yet the good news about it is that this reveals Jesus and takes the weight off of our shoulders and says, it's finished and complete in him. And now we live out his word, not to be saved again, but because we are saved. We don't try to do his word to make God love us. God loves us, so therefore we do his word. We want to live it out. We want to walk in it. And listen to this, number four, scriptures. Why does this matter? Here's why this matters. Scriptures are simply under attack. And you're like, that sounds a little dramatic, Josiah. I mean, this is what Paul says, right? This is Paul's writing. Like, why does this matter so much? He goes, because the word of God is under attack. Look at verse three, 2 Timothy chapter four, verse three. He says this, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I want you to hear some of the language Paul uses there because it's pretty intense. He says, they will not endure sound doctrine. They, because of their itching ears, they will heap up for themselves like these false teachers. He's basically saying there will come a point in time when there will be a generation that doesn't want to know what does God's word say, but there'll be preachers who will say, what do people want to hear? You see, there, there comes a point in time where kind of preachers have a decision. Do I preach on what people want to hear? Or do I preach on what God's word says? And he says, listen, there'll be a generation that has itching ears. And they go, man, I want, to, I want to listen to those who will agree with me. Like, I have this belief. Let me find someone who will affirm this belief I have. Like, we cannot, it cannot be that standpoint. We come to the word of God saying, God, if I, if Josiah, if I'm wrong in this perspective of fill in the blank, I'm willing to submit my thoughts and opinions to you. I'm willing to say, God, I'm going to submit my, my will for yours. Like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm going to lay down my opinions and thoughts on this matter. If your word, of God, if your word says something different, like, I'm going to submit to that because it's better for me. Because I believe it. Because, you know what, I realize that my opinions are going to be broken. My opinions are shaped so often by culture, what's popular, what's happening. Not anymore. I would love to see a church that's more formed by the word of God than formed by TikTok or Instagram or Netflix. Like, all of those things communicate certain narratives. This word fable, it's basically this word of, like, not even just myth or a fable. Like, we think of, like, Greek mythology. It's actually just a different alternative narrative. It's this idea of, like, a different life script. He goes, they're starting to believe different myths, different life scripts. They're starting to believe different narratives on life. You see, my hope is that we go, yeah, yeah, I know this is a popular belief, but what does the Bible say? Not even what does, what does Josiah say. Not just what does my pastor say. What does the Bible say? Like, I hope we can kind of look back and go, yeah, like, I know this is common. Like, I know everyone believes uh, this topic in this way, but I'm here to say, God, your word's way better. Like, I don't want to pretend to think that just for some reason, the 21st century, we just discovered, like, here's the best way to live. Like, maybe there's actually ancient, ancient truth in here that is good for life. It's like, wait, maybe the, the whole, like, moment we're living in isn't working. Everyone's more anxious. Everyone's more depressed. Everyone's, like, on edge and more toxic and more hateful. Maybe our belief system isn't working. Oh, maybe, I don't know. Like, maybe we should actually go back to the ancient word of God and study it again and get to know it again and love it again. Because maybe it is a lamp into my feet and light into my path. Maybe this is the water that will just quench those, dark, those desires in my heart. Maybe this is everything I've been looking for, but I'm still just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And God's word is like, I will meet those needs. I will answer those questions. You want to know why you're here? Want to know what the purpose of life is? This is the Bible. It's, it's, it's in here. You see, I really believe that we, we need to know that this is a book that's under attack from the very beginning. From the very beginning, saying, hey, did God really say? From the very beginning, we, you can find any book, any topic to affirm your beliefs, but is that what the word of God truly says? And I would just say, do the hard work of interpretation, do the hard work of study, do the hard work of listening to people who might think differently than you. And I would say, and like, do the work, do the work. It might take a while. It might take a long time. 
My thing is if people come in here with different beliefs, we're like, we love them, man. They're saved by the gospel of Jesus, and we're willing to work with you and walk with you, and we believe sanctification is a process, and it might take a while. Not everyone's going to believe the same thing, always the same moment. And we're saying, okay, but whatever the topic is, whether it's sexuality, whether it's just lifestyle, whether, whatever it is, identity, we just want to go, what does God's word say about this, and how do we submit to that? Like, we're going to love people in the process, we're going to listen in the process, but we're going to say, hey, you got to understand that I'm even sacrificing my opinions and thoughts on this for what the Word of God says, and I'm going to do the hard work of interpretation with you. And you see, this, this is a book that's under attack. And he says, listen, but what does he say? He says, but you be watchful, but you be sober-minded, you be level-headed. I really feel like we live in a world where, like, I'm like, is anyone, like, level-headed anymore, right? It's like, everyone's, like, angry at each other, and I'm like, he's like, but you be watchful, you be sober. This is what the Word of God does. The Word of God just does this just makes you like, okay, Jesus, I trust you. I can see the wickedness in man and recognize the evil in man, but I can also see the redemption of you, God. And you have this like approach to life that I think is what the world is looking for. I think right now we live in a moment where we can say the word of God is what everyone's craving and they don't even know it. Where the scripture is what people are longing for and they just don't realize it yet. Why does it matter? Well, because this is how God reveals how we are saved. Let's, let's just go, go with this. Number three, how do we respond to it? So how do we respond to the Word of God? I just have four little words, and I'll make this quick. All right, listen, church, please hear me on this. I don't want to just, like, this is not just, like, application time, but it is a little bit of that. But it's like, okay, how do I actually interact and respond to the Word of God? Here's the first thought. The Bible has this phrase a lot, receive it, like, receive it. How do I respond to the Word of God? Receive the Word of God. Like, we need to receive it. We need to have, like, a humility as we approach the Bible. We need to have a meekness as we approach the Bible. James 1 says this, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with the spirit of like meekness. You have power under control. You might have your degrees. You might have your wisdom. You might have your knowledge. But can you just submit that for one second and say, you know, I'm going to have a, a, a humble approach to this. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is it's able to save your souls. Just receive it. Maybe set aside what you've heard for so, for so long, what your professors have taught you. Maybe set that aside. Receive it with meekness. Receive it. There's the same phrase about receiving the word in Acts 17. I love this. Paul was just known for going city to city to city, and he's like sharing the gospel. Paul would primarily go into synagogues, Jews, and he would basically say, okay, you have a foundation of God and sin. And he'd say, now here's a solution, Jesus. And he'd go into synagogues and try to introduce how Jesus was the Messiah. A lot of times it got him like, you know, stoned with rocks or, you know, in trouble in some way. But he goes in this city. He goes into uh, Berea, and he shares the word of God. And it says this in Acts 17, 11. It says, they, the Bereans, received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I love that. Like, Paul, you, you, seem, you seem to have some good words, but I want to know what does the word of God say? And it talks about how many end up believing in Jesus. But they receive the word just with a spirit of readiness. I just pray that you come in on Sundays, you receive the word with the spirit of readiness. I'm not saying, you know, that could be a mixture of things. Maybe it is taking notes. That's a beautiful thing. I would encourage you to do that. But maybe it's just receiving it. Maybe you're like, Jesus, my hands, my heart's open to receiving your word today. Like, whatever you want to say, Jesus, I don't think this is for someone else. I was so guilty. I still am guilty of this. Like, oh, this is a great word. So-and-so needs to listen to this. Like, no, like, I need to. Like, I want to receive it. I want to receive it with meekness. I want to receive it, like it says here, with readiness. Like, I'm ready. Lord, speak. It'd be so cool to see if our posture every Sunday was, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. This posture you come into just the worship service with of just like, God, your word's going to be open. Speak. I'm listening. Receive it. Here's the second thing. Um, Believe it. (laughs) I I can't encourage you enough that the word of God must be mixed with faith. It just has to be. 
like for it to be profitable according to Hebrews 4, the word of God has to be mixed with faith. Now, God's word is going to accomplish what it wants to accomplish. Isaiah 55 says it's going to do what it wants to do. But for it to be like profitable in an individual's life, it needs to be mixed with faith. Hebrews 4 says the word did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. So let me just put it this way. It's actually John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. He who hears my word and believes in him and believes in him. Do you hear the word and believe it? Jesus one day was traveling through Nazareth, the town he grew up in, and it says he could do no mighty works there. Why? It's Matthew 15, uh, 13, 58. It says he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus is like, I want to do great work here, but I just can't because there's no belief here. Listen, the word of God must be mixed with faith. Jesus said in, in Mark 9, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Like, you must believe it. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. I would say this, taking the word, man. I would say that when there was like exponential season of growth in my life, when I was like 18, 19, like figuring out life, I just remember driving, listening to sermons, you know, cleaning up, you know, doing my job at work, listening to podcasts, listening to sermons, listening to worship music. And I'd say, man, like there's something about just getting the word of God out there that just grows your faith. Like faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word. I would say this, like a lot of times we're feeling our, our hearing, our listening with things counter to the word of God. And so we're like, why is my, my faith feel like a shriveling right now? It's like, well, you're listening to things opposite the word of God. If you want your faith to grow, take in the word of God because faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Listen, receive it, believe it. Number three is this, the power lies in doing it, like do it. It's good that you receive it. It's good that you believe it. But church, if we don't do it, we've missed the point. James 1, again, 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest you deceive yourself. Like you can even, Christians deceive themselves when they go, but I believe it. Like, is not enough? It's like, yeah, but the belief will lead to action. It must be a doer, not a hearer only. Don't deceive yourself anymore. Don't think just because you believe evangelism is good means that you're evangelizing. Don't just like believe, like, I believe this is a good thing. Therefore, I must be doing it. Like, no, also do it. Put it into practice. Do it is exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, he, he who hears these sayings of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on a rock. Listen, do it. Put Jesus's words, put the word of God into practice. Amen. And with that, lastly, is this, preach it. Man, preach it. I mean, we have the greatest news. Like, you really have to believe this. You have to, like, again, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach it. Paul's like, hey, you're going to stand before God. God's going to judge the living and the dead. Therefore, what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all patience and all teaching. Do you hear how Paul describes preaching? I'm like, I appreciate this. He's like, man, when it comes to preaching, you need long suffering. Did you see that in verse 2? He's like, you're going to need patience when it comes to preaching. Man, like teaching high schoolers, like I need patience, right? Like when it comes to like preaching to anyone, you need patience. When it comes to communicating the word of God, he's like, be patient with them. I love this language, by the way. He's like, convince them. Sometimes it's okay to use convincing, to use reason and logic. I mean, that's, that comes from God. He goes, rebuke them. Call them out in their sin. Exhort them. Encourage them. Show them God's love. Just teach them. Like when it comes to preaching, you guys, there's many different tactics you'll have to use. You have to listen. You have to exhort. You'll have to rebuke. You'll have to convince. You'll have to be patient. You'll have to teach. Like he's like, this is what preaching looks like. He tells us even how to preach. I say, preach the word of God. I love what Psalm 119, I think it's Psalm 119, 105. He basically says this, the unfolding of your word brings light. There's something about when you just unfold the word of God, it just exposes those things in our life. Like, oh my gosh, this is true. 
when it comes to like someone who's ever like, maybe you've experienced this, and I hope you've experienced this here. You come, we open the word of God, we try to unpack it, and you go, oh my gosh, this is the most freeing message ever. This is the best news I've ever heard. Or God, you've revealed this idol or this thing in my life that has taken your place, and it just, the unfolding of your word just brought life and light to me. And that's what we hope happens every time we unfold or preach the word of God. The best definition I heard of preaching is just unfolding the word of God. Just like, like let the word of God do the talking. Just like help people understand it. I love how Warren Wearsby describes preaching. He says this. He says, true preaching is the explanation and application of Bible doctrine. Anything else is just religious speech making. I love that. True preaching, he goes, is the explanation and application of just, of just the word of God. You know, I'm not here to share my thoughts, my opinions. I know that can happen. My hope, my, my hope, my desire. And so like every week we gather together around the word of God and say, God, speak. Your servant listens. God, let this be a light unto our feet, a lamp to our path. Guide us, lead us, refresh us. God, we want to find substance. Let this be food for our soul. Like, let us find, just the, let this be sweet as honey, as David would say. That your words were, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, 16. God, I found your words and I ate them. And your words to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I found your words and I ate it, God, and just my heart was just overwhelmed with joy. I love, like, it's funny, there's something about, I always feel weird sometimes, like, pointing to verses and, like, showing, like, there's so many, we just did so many verses today. There's something beautiful about you reading the scriptures on your own and you discovering those verses. You're like, wow, Jesus said his words are spirit in their life. Wow, I love, like, man, I remember reading through Jeremiah, and, like, every verse I thought was, like, I was, like, underlining the whole book of Jeremiah. I'm like, oh my gosh, has anyone ever read Jeremiah? It's incredible. I'm like, it's amazing. Like, people need to read Jeremiah. And, like, I was, like, just, like, you, I don't want to just, like, pull a verse out. Like, you need to read it. You need to let God, like, find it, discover it again. Do you remember in 2 Chronicles 34, the, the issue? The word of God, it says, was lost in the house of God. That, I think that describes a lot of our generation. The word of God is lost in the house of God. Let there be a rediscovering of the word of God today. Let us be a church that says, man, we love it. It's everything. It's how I know God. It's how I know who I am in light of who God is. This is a book about Jesus, but as I get to know Jesus, I get to know Jesus' will and plan for my life. Thank you, Jesus. Let this be everything your heart is long. You'll find it in the word. It takes discipline. It takes time. Like any exercise in life, don't just try it once. Don't just give, it's hard. Like, yeah, I know it's hard. Like, be disciplined in it. We want to, like, offer Bible reading plans. There's some great ones out there. We want to help you, coach you, like, talk to some leaders about that. I can tell you what I personally do. I've tried Bible reading plans, and I failed at that, and I feel guilty. And So I have something that I like to do. But you can just discover that. Love it. Get into it. I mean, watch God speak. Watch God transform our church. Again, I, I don't want to, I just want to end with this thought. I love how one person described revival. They're like, what is revival? What does revival look like in the church? It's where basically God takes those ordinary things the church is supposed to be doing and makes them extraordinary. Like, what's revival? It's like, it's like we all know prayer is good, but it's like when the church is like, oh my gosh, we're going to pray. Like, what's, what's revival? When does revival happen? It's like, we all love the Bible, but there's a, like this heightening of like, oh my gosh, we love the Bible. There's like, we, we all know we want to like witness to our friends who don't know Jesus. And like, you're like, I can't wait to witness to my friends who don't know Jesus. Like basically revival is when God takes his ordinary things and just heightens that experience for us. We're like, I can't get enough. Pray that God does that with us and it comes to his word. It just like heightens that desire within us. Listen, we're gonna close at our time by now eating and remembering that Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is the word that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And communion reminds me of Jesus. Communion reminds me of the word. Communion is that moment for us where we say, God, we want to take and eat of you. Fill us. We want to be people that are about you. 
We want to, guys, church, we want to establish these rhythms of communion, not in a religious, traditional way, but in a way that kind of through repetition reminds us of the gospel, brings us to Jesus, makes us hungry for Jesus, reminds us of what we're saved for and who we're saved by. And so, listen, we're going to take communion. When you walked in, you should have received communion today. I just want to make sure you guys understand this. This is a time for you to have, to listen, to commune with God. Communion is commune with God. Have relationship with God. Remember how Jesus gave his body up for you so that you could live. Remember how Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Just thank God. Spend some time praying over God. I am going to pray, and we're just going to give some time to have communion, church. Listen, hold that cup. Look at the juice. Look at the little wafer thing on the top. And just say, God, make me hungry for you. Make me hungry for your word. I don't want to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, God. Make me hungry for this. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that you shed so I can have forgiveness of sins. Listen, if, if you don't believe in Jesus, no need to take communion. But if you, today you say, I, want to, I, I believe in Jesus. He is the one who satisfies my deepest need. His word is that. It just fills me. It quenches that thirst within me. Take, eat, and drink. Like enjoy Jesus, take in the person of Jesus. Let me just pray, and then we're going to spend some time just kind of worshiping and praying over our communion. You're going to be doing that. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that your word is a lamp, it's a light, it's water, it's food. God, it's a seed, it's a fire. Jesus, we thank you. It's everything. Um, Lord, we just look to you now. We ask that, Jesus, we just take communion, that we would do what you said, that we just remember, that we would reflect, that we'd be reminded of the fact that we're different people, different backgrounds, yet we all eat of the same bread. That's you. That, Jesus, we're unified by this meal, this meal that points us to the cross, this meal that reminds us of forgiveness. And, and Jesus, so we look to this idea of this little wafer, this little juice, and say it points to this greater story that one day we will eat of this and drink of this with you in heaven. So Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you now. We invite you to this place now, Jesus. Just remind us of what we're here for. Let your word lead us and guide us in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.